Well, over the past few weeks, we've talked about how the author of the book of Luke is a guy named Luke. And Luke was a, a Greek Gentile doctor. Uh, he was a follower of Jesus, and he's actually the only known Gentile author in the entire New Testament. Um, Luke personally knew many of the big names that we talk about um, in our Sunday school classes and our small groups and on Sunday morning. Some of those big names in the New Testament. Luke personally knew those people. Um, he was really close to Peter. He was very close to the Apostle Paul. And he even knew some of Jesus' own family. I think that's just so amazing. Can you imagine having spent time with some of those people, seeing uh, the things that they saw, experiencing some of the things that they experienced? We know that Luke was led by the Holy Spirit to write his gospel so that his friend, uh, Theophilus, that's his friend's name, uh, and so that other Gentile Christians and so that people throughout all generations um, would have an accurate, orderly account of the life of Jesus. Now, Luke also wanted to show readers that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by God through, uh, throughout the generations and throughout his word. If you remember back, if you were here in week one, uh, we read from Luke chapter one, uh, verses one through four, just four verses. It was, it was a short, uh, short text that we read, but we talked about how as a doctor, uh, Luke wanted to know the facts. He wanted to make sure that he could pass on an accurate, orderly account of what really happened throughout Jesus's life. And he did this. I think this is so interesting. He did this by talking to people who were eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. Uh, Luke investigated the truth claims that were being made about Jesus, and he wrote down the things that he knew were 100% accurate. See, Luke doesn't just give us another story. We've talked about this, another story that starts with once upon a time. He doesn't just give us another story that starts with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's not how Luke's gospel starts. He gives us an accurate, orderly account of what really happened. Last week, in week two, we read from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, a little bit uh, more lengthy scripture, but we picked up right where we left off, and we were given a closer look into Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. And we were reminded as a church that even when God is silent, it does not mean that he's still. God is always working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, many people in their day stopped believing in God, and they, they, they started to doubt the promises that were made by God throughout the generations. If you remember, a promise that was made to Abraham all the way back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, was now being fulfilled in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Something new was happening in their life. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story matter for our lives Uh, Because of this reason, this is so huge, because you and I will have moments in our lives, and not just moments, we will have seasoned, prolonged seasons when we wonder, is God still active? Does God still listen to my prayers? Does God still care about me? Does he still love me? And if you're a follower of Christ, the answer is a resounding yes. God never breaks a promise. He, He is who he says he is. His word can be trusted. Well, today we're going to continue our series by picking up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, just right where we left off last week. And we're going to take a closer look at an individual whose encounter with God was more intimate, uh, more personal than any other person throughout history. Um, Today we're going to look at Mary's story. But before we open God's word together, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. 
So let's bow our heads this morning. We'll close our eyes. We'll, we'll think about Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. I thank you for your word. Um, we talked about how every week as the church comes together, we're reminded of your promises. We're reminded about who you are and who we are in Christ. And this year, as we celebrate the promise that was fulfilled in your son, Jesus, um, we do so with, with glad hearts, with thanksgiving, with gratitude. And I pray that, again, it, this time that we spend together would be for your glory and for our good. Give us clarity through the preaching of your word. Bring conviction where we need conviction, encouragement where we need encouragement this time of year. And give us a greater desire to serve you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if you are taking notes today, we're going to have the notes and the scripture on the screen. We're going to go ahead and just get right into it. We're going to start with the first point for today, and that is this, that God often uses the unusable. God often uses the unusable. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. These are the words that we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. So I was reading this this week, and and I was just reminded, you know, most of us probably know the basics about Mary's story, whether we've grown up in the church or or not. We know that she was a young girl during this time. Many theologians believe that she was between the ages of of 12 and 14, but we we don't really know. We just know that she was young. Uh, We know that she was a virgin. She She was unmarried, but she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And we also know that the way in which she finds out that she's going to conceive a baby is just absolutely incredible. Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells her uh, the unlikely good news. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary here, and then last week, um, this angel also appeared to Zechariah. And I was looking through uh, the Old Testament this week and just seeing, did, did Gabriel show up any other time? And in fact, he did. He showed up to the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, which was 500 years before the story that we're reading today. Every single time that Gabriel showed up, he had an important message directly from God to his people. You know, we read last week how how Gabriel stands in the very presence of God. Can you imagine that? Being visited by, by an angel who stands in the very presence of God. Him showing up and saying, hey, I've got a message for you from God. You know, that, that is just so incredible to me. So this encounter that we're going to read today between between Gabriel and Mary um, is very unique. It's very special. So the first point is that God often uses the unusable, and that's certainly true in Mary's case. You know, living in the time, living in the era that, that she did, Mary, a lot of things that were working against her. She was young, likely very poor, uh, and she was a female. All characteristics that many people in her time would have classified as unusable by God. But God chose to work and move in a way that was completely opposite to uh, what the world would have chosen. God chose to use the unusable to fulfill his promise to his people. You know, maybe you're here today and you feel like your abilities or lack of. You're, you're here today and you feel like your looks or, or your experience or lack of. Maybe you feel like your personality or your education or lack of, makes you unusable by God. Well, this is the story that we see all throughout God's word. 
See, God often uses small numbers. God often uses small people. He uses the nobodies in the world. He, he uses small gifts. He takes our little and turns it into a lot. God will take those small moments in our lives, those, those moments of maybe a prayer of surrender or the reading of his word, decisions that we make in faith. God often uses the small. He often uses the unusable. I love the quote from pastor and author um, Craig Groeschel that says, you don't have to be seasoned to have influence. You don't have to be brilliant to make a difference. You don't have to have degrees, titles, or rank. Here's the key. You just need to love God, love people, and be obedient. And as we'll see, this is, this is true in Mary's life, and it's true in our lives as well. God can use you right where you're at today. And in fact, the Christmas story is a reminder that we can come to the Savior just as we are, baggage and all. He can use you right where you're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says these words. Um, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Hear that, church. My power works best in weakness, not in your strengths, in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. How often do we do that? So that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is completely opposite of what the world teaches us. This is upside down from what everything outside these walls says, that God, his grace is all we need. His power works best, not not sometimes or, or a little bit, but his power works best in weakness. And we can actually boast in our weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I am strong. You know, God's power is often displayed in the weak, the small, the humble, and the obedient. Yeah, I was curious to look back this week at some of the, the heroes of our faith that we see all throughout God's Word, starting in the Old Testament all the way to, to Revelation in the New Testament. And uh, what I found is just a great reminder of this very truth, that God often um, displays His power in the weak. God often uses the unusable. Look, look at this, uh, Noah. Right? This is you know, stories that we paint on our kids' walls at home, and we, we put them in uh, nurseries and things like that. Noah liked to drink a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Abraham was really old when God used him. Uh, Moses couldn't speak very well. He was really shy. Rahab, she was a prostitute. God got a hold of her life and used her. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Matthew, in the New Testament, was a tax collector. He stole from his own people. He kept some of it and then gave to a cause that wasn't his own. Saul, who later would become Paul, oversaw the persecution, the physical persecution of the early church. And he became the apostle Paul, wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. Mary was young, poor, female, and a virgin. So the question today is, where, where do you struggle. What does your baggage look like? You don't have to tell everybody, but think about that for a second. Where, where do you fall short? Where do you consider yourself weak? Maybe unusable. You know, I, I believe that this is likely where God will get a hold of you and use you the most. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
See, church, when we claim the promise that God's strength shows up in our weaknesses, and when we trust God with our lives, he can use, uh, he can use all of us in ways that we never thought possible. Today, do you, do you feel like you're unusable by God? Do you feel like there's things in your life that are holding you back, that are keeping God from using you and making a difference in your life and through your life for his kingdom? I want to remind you that God often uses the unusable. The second point that we're going to talk about if you're taking notes is that uh, being used by God does not always bring success, fame, or comfort. Being used by God does not always bring success, fame, or comfort. Look with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 29 through 33. Uh, Just pick up right where we left off. And I actually underline these first two main words here, uh, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What an amazing promise. You know, today, Mary's name will never be forgotten. But she wasn't always famous. Although her her child would bring joy to the world, Mary's life was not always filled with joy. And although there's comfort in knowing Christ, we know that Mary was not always comfortable. She's famous now. She, She did experience a joy that can only come through knowing Christ, and she did experience comfort. But Mary's life was also full of pain, ridicule, and heartache. At one time, her fiance thought about leaving her. Um, Her peers would ridicule her simply because they didn't understand what was happening in her life. And her oldest son would be rejected and murdered. But through this baby boy that she would bring into the world would also come the world's only source of real hope, of real joy. Her faithfulness and her obedience to God, despite the opinion of others, would ultimately bring about God's plan of salvation for the entire world. You know, when God calls or asks us to be kingdom workers, to use our gifts, to use our abilities um, for his purpose and for his plan, that's what it means to be a kingdom worker. It's not for our own gain. It's not for our own popularity, and it's certainly not for our own comfort at times. You know, in fact, when you and I are used by God, he, he's often calling us to leave what's comfortable so that we can participate in something of eternal significance. In this life that that we are in, in this life, you and I are going to experience discomfort at times. But when we fully surrender our lives to Christ, you and I are able to endure a a short time of discomfort in exchange for an eternity of complete comfort. You believe it or not, there's there's actually purpose in our pain. I want to say that again. There, There is purpose in our pain. God uses our trials. He uses our pain and our hardships to develop us into the people that he's called us to be. This doesn't mean that God causes these things to happen in our lives, but that when they do, we can view them as an opportunity to grow in Christ and to rely on God more and more in our lives. I love one of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's quotes about our daily troubles. This is so fitting for our message today, but I want to warn you, it's kind of harsh. This is the quote. The daily troubles that we have are meant to drive us to God, to drive us to the promise, and also to show us 
where our weak points are in order that we may contend with all of our might against them. That's pretty good so far. But then he says this. I believe, my dear friends, that the most hard-hearted, cross-grained, and most unlovely Christians in all of the world are those who never have had much trouble. And those who are the most sympathizing, the most loving, and Christ-like are generally those that have had the most affliction. You know, it's through Mary's story that we are reminded that there is purpose in our pain. You know, we often have to go through a painful season, through trials and through hardship, to learn how to trust God and rely on God in the way that he has created us to. We can't talk about these things without mentioning Romans 5, uh, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says these words, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. So we're supposed to be you know, excited in our weakness, and we're supposed to rejoice when we have problems. This doesn't make sense. Verse 4, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You know, churches, as we go through trials, they can help us grow and develop into mature Christian men and women. God can use our pain for something great. Even in this life, when, when there is pain, when there is heartache, there is also peace and joy that can only come through knowing Christ. Of having a personal and sincere faith in Christ. So the question is, do, do you know Christ today? This question is so important, and it leads us into the third point for today, if you're taking notes, and that is that the Christmas story starts with a response, but requires active participation. The Christmas story starts with a response, but requires active participation. Let's pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. And then I highlighted this as well um, in my Bible and in my sermon today. For the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Church, what an amazing promise. This idea, this, this truth that the word of God will never fail. What, what he promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 is coming to fruition. That God's plan will not be thwarted. It's It's happening. You know, when we arrive at this point in the story, we're reminded that the Christmas story and our story starts with a response, but it requires active participation. Mary was a virgin and was told that she would conceive and give birth to a son. She undoubtedly wrestled with this. I mean, you can almost hear it in her voice when you read verse 34. Mary asks the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. You know, I read this, and I, I don't believe that this was a question coming from a place of unbelief. 
I believe that this is a question that is coming uh, from a place of expressing faith. See, Mary believed the promise, but didn't understand the performance. Mary knew how babies are conceived and, and how babies are born. That's something you don't have to be a doctor like Luke to know about, right? She knew these things. She knew what would happen, but she didn't know how it would happen. So the angel Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the power of the Most High would overshadow her. You know, when God calls you to be a kingdom worker, to use your gifts, your abilities for his glory, I believe that it's okay to pair faith with questions. I would go this far that if you find yourself in a church where you cannot ask questions, you should probably go somewhere else. It's okay to have doubt because God will often get a hold of us, get a hold of our lives, and use our doubt to help grow uh, greater faith in our lives. When God calls you to be a kingdom worker, to use your gifts for his glory, it's okay to pair faith with questions. In fact, God loves it when we ask questions. The, The important thing is that we respond. And this is a timely question for every single person here today. Have you responded in faith to the call that God has on your life? Have you responded in faith? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Do you believe in his virgin birth? Do you believe that everything that the gospels teach us about his his life and ministry actually took place? Do you believe in Jesus' death, burial, and ultimately in his resurrection? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? That is the most important question that any person can ever answer. That is the most important. Have you responded by placing your faith in Jesus? You know, Mary didn't simply respond. She answered the call to actively participate in God's story. She responded, this is the response, I am the Lord's servant, but those were not just words. Anybody can say say that. Yes, I believe. Even the devil and, and demons believe. She responded in faith. She allowed God to be the Lord of her life. And and I fear that many Christians today have responded in belief, but have not allowed Jesus to be the Lord of their life. There is a difference. Many people confess Jesus with their mouths, but fail to give him complete control in their hearts and in their lives. There is a difference between belief and simply responding and active participation in God's story. Have you said yes to whatever it is that God is calling you to do? Maybe you're here today and you don't know the specific calling that God has on your life. And that's okay because there's a general calling that God gives for every believer. There are things that he calls us to do that would bring him glory and would be for the good of the church. And we can talk about those things. Those are things that all Christians should be doing. Are you actively participating? You know, I was thinking about this this week and It's certainly a question that has to be asked, but as I stand here week after week, and as I have the awesome privilege of preaching the word of God and spending time with people in our church, I see families and individuals who are actively participating in God's story. I am so excited to be a part of a church where people care about the advancement of the gospel. Again, this is a question that has to be asked. It's important that it's asked, but I know that many of you, probably most of you, are extremely active. You're involved. You're allowing God to get a hold of your life and use your gifts, use your talents for his glory. You're kingdom workers, and that is awesome. Remember, God loves 
to use the unusable. If you feel like your past or your present is keeping you from being used by God in the future, I want to say this to you today. You're not alone. You're not alone. Whatever you're struggling with, your hurts, maybe your habits or your hang-ups, I want to encourage you to give those to the Lord today. Lay those at the foot of the cross. Say, Jesus, I can't handle this. Take this. Do something with it that only you can do. Allow him to use your weakness for his glory. Remember, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because of Christ. Maybe you're going through a difficult season right now. You know, this time of year is a time of celebration, a time of worship, a time of reflection. And when we get to that reflection part, for many families, for many individuals, this is a difficult season. Mainly because of relationship. Because of broken relationships or maybe because of someone who's not here anymore. I want to say to you that there is a peace and a joy that that passes all human understanding and is only found in Christ. Claim the promise that God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes your pain. He wants to use your pain to grow you into the person that he has called you to be. Many of you are here today, and you've gone through that season of trial, that season of pain, and you're, you don't ever get over it, but God helps you get through it, and that's important to understand. And as you're getting through it, you're able to see now that new relationships have been made. You're able to look back on that experience and see how God has used you for his glory and to maybe share your story with someone else. That's a truth that we see in God's word, that he comforts us when we need comfort so that in return we can comfort those who are, are, are struggling and dealing with similar things. Maybe you're in a season right now where God can use you to comfort those who are hurting. This is a time of year that there is so joyous and so worshipful, but it's also a time of year where there is pain and heartache. But the discomfort and pain we experience in this life is only for a moment, friends. It's only for a moment. Eternity with, with Christ is complete comfort. And finally, have you, have you responded by placing your faith in Jesus? If, if you have not done that, you know, maybe, maybe you look back and there was a time when you were a kid and you went through some, some things. You went through the motions. But have, the question is this, and what we see throughout the New Testament is, have you personally believed Have you believed? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Not not your parents' faith, not your aunt's or your uncle's faith, not your church's faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, today is the day. And we have elders and staff members who would love to open up God's word with you and walk through God's plan of salvation, just to sit and pray with you and just look at God's, God's word. What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? Maybe you're here today and you've responded in faith, but you would say, you know, I'm not really actively participating. I've responded. I believe in my heart. I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, but I'm just not very involved. If that describes your life, I would also say that today is the day. Say yes to God having complete control over your life. Like Mary said, Lord, whatever you have said will happen. She had complete faith, complete trust that he is who he says he is. I believe that God's plan and his timing is perfect. We can trust that his ways are so much greater than our own. Say yes to God having complete control over your life, being the Lord of your life. You know, from Mary's story, we're reminded once again that the Christmas story is more than just a story. 
It's more than just a story that we might read to our kids at night. Or, you know, this week I had the awesome privilege of sharing the Christmas story with the kids over in the preschool. And I was able to say, now this story that we're going to read today is not just a story. This is something that really happened. You know, how awesome is that? We believe that as a church. We proclaim that. These are things that really happen. Our faith is not just faith in faith or belief in belief. It's rooted in historical events that actually took place and have been documented and passed down through the generations because of God's awesomeness and his perfection, who he is. He's preserved that for us. This year, we can be encouraged that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He can use us right where we're at. This might be a little controversial, but I've seen over the years, I don't believe that someone has to become the right kind of person before God can get a hold of their lives and start using them. It's often in those uh, moments of doing something of significance that God gets a hold of you. And maybe you're here today and uh, you would say, you know, I, I believe I just haven't been very involved. Ask how to get involved. We've got areas that you can begin to serve and use your gifts and your abilities. And it's often through those moments, through those opportunities that God begins to show you the bigger picture. He shows you that you're doing something significant because in his eyes you are significant. Are you participating in God's story? That's the question today. The Christmas story is a response, but it's more than a response. It requires active participation.